This podcast is on life hacking sobriety, 100 days of ethical hedonism in South America's number one vice city. This article I really enjoyed writing probably because I enjoyed living it so much. This podcast article is going to give you a little bit more of a peek into my own life. And I think you'll also find, if you can listen for a little bit of nuance, you'll, you'll find the intersection in this article of lifestyle and philosophy and the symbiotic relationship that they have in people that are high performers and people that really do enjoy the richness that life has to offer. But before cracking into the article, I wanted to address a question that we actually got via YouTube comment from a Mr. T. He said, I took some smart drugs slash nootropics a few months. I think he's saying that he took them for a few months and ended up making a small fortune. My only problem is alcohol right now, and it is consuming me. Any supplements you recommend to stave off alcoholic cravings? And what is a good stack for a re-beginner? So I'm kind of imagining here that you did nootropics for like a couple of months. I don't know, maybe you did like some day trading like in the movie limitless and then you had a windfall you made like five million dollars so you went and bought a boat and you just you just uh moored your boat somewhere off the uh, islands near nicaragua and you've just been drinking delicious florida Kanye rum and partying with playboy models on your yacht since then and you're like oh my gosh i need to start taking nootropics because i've just made too much money and I'm just drinking too much alcohol. Well, I, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. It happens to the worst of us, Mr. T. Okay, but to seriously answer your question, actually, nootropics are great for alcohol cravings and for all varieties of alcoholics, I would direct your attention, first of all, to paracetam. Paracetam actually has had six, count them, six human studies where they were treating alcoholic withdrawal with paracetam, and it had a pretty positive effect. One of the big issues, as I'm sure you're aware of, with alcohol is that your hedonic set point gets jacked way up so that especially really hardcore alcoholics they just can't enjoy life sober you know things like reading a book hanging out with their family having sex with their wife garden variety pleasures are just not pleasurable enough for them after chronically using alcohol and paracetam actually restores some of the natural human award and arousal system and that's that's why it's it's praised as a positive in in these six studies i encourage you you can find them actually through 
Wikipedia, it seems to me it's one of the first things mentioned on the Wikipedia page for Paracetam, or you can just take my word for it. <laughs> Go and order some Paracetam and then be sure to follow the Paracetam protocol. Another idea, I was recently doing my research on TNeptine, and TNeptine I'm going to describe in a few words as kind of a wimpy antidepressant. I really don't think it's that great of an antidepressant as far as they go, but one of the things that it's been demonstrated in a couple of studies as being quite effective in doing is in treating alcohol withdrawal and reading up some of the various reports online about TNeptine. I heard that repeatedly, that it did actually help quite a bit with alcoholic withdrawal. And I would also direct you to, and this may be a big duh to you and everyone else listening, but I would also direct you to kind of address alcoholism with a holistic lifestyle of ethical hedonism, which this article is going to, uh, is going to delve into. So hopefully this is infotaining for you and gives you some some direction to go so that you can make another small fortune and to get into this article life hacking sobriety 100 days of ethical hedonism in south america's number one vice city in a radical lifestyle experiment and self-control challenge i spent over three and a half months completely sober in Medellin, Colombia. I should actually issue a little bit of an update to this article. It ended up being six months total, and then I proceeded to do 90 days of intermittent sobriety after that, punctuated with periods of maybe a couple of weeks, but 100 days of sobriety is certainly a better article title. In these over 100 days, I experienced meteoric personal development in multiple dimensions. I also partied with some of the coolest, most interesting, and sexy people I've ever met. And I've got a bunch of photos in this article to prove that. As you can see, I was not a monk during my sober trip. I went out and socialized three to five times a week with people who were drinking and partying. This article will cover uncommon motives. This article will cover the uncommon motives for my sobriety, the life hacks I employed to keep up with the drunks around me, along with the unexpected and sometimes hilarious consequences. This article is more for life hacking socialites, personal development junkies, and self-experimenters than it is for recovering alcoholics. The ultimate message I'm trying to communicate is that the sober life can be orders of magnitude more fun than the intoxicated life. There's also a lot of references here to Colombian culture and the adventures I had in this lovely country, but I think anyone anywhere in the world considering a sober social life will find a lot of actionable value here. And I've got a couple of really beautiful pictures of Medellin, Colombia. It really is a 
lovely place and the photos of it, whenever I see them, they bring me back to the city of Eternal Spring. Rio de Janeiro and Buenos Aires may have bigger parties, but the hometown of Pablo Escobar, Medellin, has to take the title of number one vice city in South America with its legalized prostitution, constant festivals, reggaeton, fueled nightlife, abundance of high quality, ridiculously affordable cocaine, and intoxicatingly beautiful women. In Medellin, something that's really common to see is that from 5 to 7 p.m., people start drinking some beers when they're socializing. From 10 p.m. to midnight, they do some cocaine, double up on shots of aguardiente or rum, and they hit the clubs. 1 a.m. to 3 a.m., while quite intoxicated, they will go for round two of cocaine and begin hitting the after-hours clubs and bars for more hard liquor. Between 4 to 8 a.m., bedtime is pretty common Thursday through Sunday. People here go hard, and so do I. Objectives. Why? Sobriety. And I actually created a MindMeister flowchart of my sober lifestyle. I've always had a pretty healthy relationship with alcohol. Infamous last words, right? Well... I've never had a DUI, unplanned pregnancy, ruined friendship, or drunken brawl in a bar as a result of intox or or outside of a bar or anywhere as a result of intoxication. In podcast number 24, Biohacking Boozing, I explain my strategies in depth for minimizing the negative impacts of alcohol on my system. I adore wine, craft beer, and premium triple distilled vodkas. I'm a former nightclub promoter socialite and a big aficionado and a big aficionado of the art of pickup. So suffice to say, me and liquor mix very well. So why go completely sober? Continuity of lifestyle, really. To quote the rapper Drake, I want this shit forever, man. And I have a infographic, not an infographic, a MindMeister flowchart that's actually pretty detailed. And in it, I break down my lifestyle plan. So I, as you can imagine, as a quantified self life hacker type, I break down my life and what I want out of my life in the different areas with a flowchart, and I, for better or for worse, I have no idea what the future repercussions on my, <laughs> on my reputation will be of being so public about all these things, but for better or for worse, I share that on my website. You can check it out. Some people have thought it's really interesting. Some people may think it's not so interesting at all. A quick scan of my Facebook wall reveals that many of my old friends, who were once so much fun to socialize with, are getting fat, married, pregnant, or are just in a real hurry to become boring adults at alarming rates. 
I don't subscribe to this philosophy that you get about half a decade in your 20s to party, hook up with hot chicks, do crazy shit with your friends, and then live the rest of your life in quiet desperation. I say, fuck that. For me, age is not a number. It's a mindset, and I think it should be a robust mindset. I want to be able to transition robustly to whatever age mindset is going to serve me best in the moment. In the same day, I can philosophize like a thoughtful, well-read old man, make juvenile jokes like a child with my friends, handle business like a grown man, and then party with girls till the early hours of the morning like a hormone-crazed youth. The people who know me best think of me as a workaholic, a health nut, and an intellectual. I work seven days a week. The prevailing passion of my life for the past 10 years has been my business. My lifestyle is digitally quantified for discipline. I take scheduled breaks every few hours from my work to do push-ups and pull-ups. My diet is very strict, and I'd rather go hungry than eat crappy food. I'm 30 now, so at my age, I could probably drink socially three to four times a week for the next decade or so, while still being pretty healthy and productive. But inevitably, I'm going to have to sacrifice either my lifestyle or my health if I continue to drink. Sobriety is the life hack that allows me to continue my multiple personality, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde lifestyle as long as I want. Mindset control. One of the most common qualities of people who are successful and happy is a high degree of mastery over one's emotions. And I have another flowchart breaking down some mindset stuff linked. Drawing your emotional state from within as opposed to from external stimuli. Alcohol, with the possible exception of coffee, is probably the most commonly used stimulus we humans employ to change our state, to relax, to summon confidence, to socialize, to fall asleep, to speak our second languages, etc. By abstaining from this crutch in the highest pressure emotional situations, I'm exercising and building robust emotional muscles. Financial. It saves a lot of money. An informal audit during my time in Central and South America revealed that, like most travelers, I was spending 30 to 60% of my budget on booze. Back home, when I lived in downtown Denver, I would spend as much as $800 monthly on my social life, and a good proportion of that was my bar tab. Here's a life hack. As a reward to myself for my self-control, about once a month, I will go to the mall and spend a fraction of the money I've saved not drinking on an item of really fashionable clothing. Every time I get compliments on the item of clothing, I let them know that it's a gift from sobriety. Let's talk about Colombian liquor. When I did drink 
I did it because I'm a genuine connoisseur of liquor. The popular booze in Colombia is pretty terrible. The two popular beers, Club Colombia and Aguila, are basically fermented toilet water. Crappy rum sometimes flows in the streets like rain, and Aguardiente, a sugary, clear, hard liquor with the personality of a $40 hooker with fake double D breasts can actually be bought in a plastic bag and apparently only mixes with three things. Here they are, Coca-Cola, ice, or more water. You don't need to wake up very many times with the leftover licorice-like taste of aguardiente in your mouth to swear off drinking. Sure, you can get imported spirits, but they are prohibitively expensive. Chilean vino is actually more expensive in Colombia than it is in Panama. With my sophisticated taste, this made it a whole lot easier to say no to booze. The challenge. As a novelty junkie and perpetual promoter of my own neuroplasticity, I'm always in search of ways to challenge myself. I've got another flowchart about neuroplasticity. Parting sober, you face two challenges. The external challenge that everyone compliments you on is staying sober while surrounded by booze. This one is actually significantly easier since you get so much social validation for it. The internal challenge of drawing state from within, becoming playfully creative, creating the party in your own head first, and leading those around you to it. What they say is true. The first few nights out sober or weeks out sober are the most difficult. But the challenge doesn't go away completely. I still consistently have moments where I really want to drink, but that desire is met by a strong internal voice that assures me I don't do that. I like to think this is what psychologists call a core level identity change. I'll be honest, my ego is quite attached to the accomplishment of being able to socially compete while dead sober with those who are fueled by copious amounts of liquid and white powder confidence. Health. I list this one last because it's so obvious. Alcoholism kills 10% of the men who die of cancer. It took down the Mongol Empire and it killed my grandfather a rocket scientist who worked at NASA in the 60s and 70s who was one of the engineers directly responsible for actually sending men to the moon. For someone already very energetic and healthy like myself, it has to be more than a placebo effect that I really do feel better and cleaner off booze. On the other hand, I begin podcast number 24 by saying if there's anyone who can say that alcohol has actually made their life better, it's me. I do encourage you to give a listen to that podcast episode. When I did drink, it was quite rare I would actually feel hung over because my antioxidant intake is so high, my body does a good job of blocking the booze from turning into acetylhyde. I believe that with proper preparation, moderate 
consumption of certain types of alcohol can be pretty close to a neutral health impact. So health was actually a relatively minor factor in my decision to do my periods of intermittent no boozing in Colombia. You could fill a library full of books, full of logical reasons to abstain from alcohol, but all that logic crumbles in a moment when a sexy 22-year-old girl wearing a miniskirt in a bar asks you to take a shot with her. Doesn't it, gentlemen? I knew if I wanted to commit to a serious sober trip while enjoying life like a lush, it was going to take more than the standard health and financial reasons. My secret weapons for titanium solid willpower in the face of drunken pleasure were fear and social validation. That's right, fear and social validation. The fear trigger. Fear is consistently one of the top performing human motivators and I attach a pretty cool infographic that's about your brain on fear. Anytime I'm tempted to drink with my lifestyle, this is almost every day, I let my imagination play out a couple of worst case scenarios. I mentally revisit a couple of my worst hangovers. Times I just went way too hard with Patron shots, Manhattan cocktails, vodka bottle service, or whatever. Like I said, I was a nightclub promoter once upon a time. And I feel that sick sensation in my stomach. I imagine that stupid, unproductive headspace. We've all been in after a long night of drinking. I think of the self-anger of checking my bank account and seeing that I've blown a bunch of money partying. For about five years, I was one of those people who would smoke cigarettes when I was drunk. I've gone several years now without a cigarette, so I imagine myself relapsing and smoking. I think about how heavy my chest and lungs used to feel after a night of smoking and drinking. I imagine myself getting drunk and making an idiot out of myself. I imagine myself failing to accomplish my goals in life because I'm a drunk. And finally, I, th I think about all the awesome sober experiences I've had that I might have missed out on. As much as I enjoy booze, the fear trigger kicks in and I pass on the drink. Let's talk about emotional social validation. And I actually have a photo of me breakdancing here. It turns out not drinking while partying is an amazing attention magnet for social validation that we all crave so desperately. A nightclub or singles bar is an excellent case study of our need for social validation. Women spend hours getting ready in front of the mirror and here in Medellin, many millions of pesos on surgically augmenting their breasts and asses. Men will spend half their paycheck in a few hours in a bar. Men will buy expensive cars, watches, and trivial stuff to impress people all for spikes of social attention that they get in these environments. 
As soon as you announce your sobriety to the other social animals in this kind of place, I am talking about bars, nightclubs, you will become the center of attention for between 5 to 25 minutes in my experience. In the past, I used to expend a lot of energy making jokes, breakdancing, buying rounds of drinks, or generally making a scene to attract this kind of attention. The reactions I get. In the beginning, I would try to explain at length the complicated and abstract reasons for my sobriety as I have in this article. This led to some interesting discussions, but when I was dealing with someone a little more shallow, 85% of the people you will meet partying, let's be honest, or a high energy group, this line was golden. I don't drink because you don't put cheap gas in a Ferrari. Or in Spanish, yo no tomo el licor porque no pones la gasolina borrata en un Ferrari. Something that is annoying, entertaining, and simultaneously a great case study of social dynamics is people's constant attempts to make me drink while I was in the middle of my sober trips. You would think that people would respect your healthy lifestyle choice, but they really don't. I remember one weekend over a bottle service table, somebody's girlfriend was getting aggressive with me, shoving drinks towards my mouth. I had to deftly insult her to get her to stop, actually. I've got my shirts soaked in booze on multiple occasions. Once a particularly clever Lithuanian girl snuck some booze into my bottled water when I went to the bathroom. Another group of people celebrating a birthday would just not take no for an answer to their shots of aguardiente. So yes, people are quite persistent in trying to get you to drink when you party like I party. Here's the life hack. So I pretended to take a shot, but actually just threw the liquor on the floor behind me. In a dark nightclub surrounded by drunk people, you can pretend to enthusiastically take a shot, but actually just throw the liquor over your shoulder. Nobody ever notices. You just want to make sure that nobody is behind you or else you may throw liquor on a stranger, which unsurprisingly can be a great Start to a forgettable friendship. Leadership and social roles. One of the first things about sobriety is that you realize how retarded intoxicated are. In particular, men. In the beginning, it's easy to swear off even going out and socializing because you feel so detached from the people surrounding you, but this is actually a personal growth opportunity in disguise. It goes something like this. Stage one is disgust with how obnoxious drunk people are, especially guys. By the end of your first or second night out, you will be about ready to commit gender side of the single male population in your city. Step two, amusement at these stupid antics and behavior. Step three, a cocky feeling of superiority over the intoxicated people around you. Step four, 
stage that you can realize and do ridiculous things that you normally couldn't get away with and you begin to stop filtering yourself. Step five is that you relearn to be silly, playful, and self-amused. And step six, you take leadership. You frequently find yourself the captain of a squadron of drunken chickens or in Medellin, el capitán del escuadrón de pollos borrachos. When everyone else is being indecisive and non-committal about a plan, you risk your social capital by authoritatively promising an awesome night and deciding on the destination of the group. And step seven, increased risk tolerance in your social life along with acceptance and even enjoyment of connecting with intellectual subordinates. What to drink? Bottled water with a green tea bag in it is my preference. I haven't figured out how to not look and feel awkward while socializing without a beverage in my hand, so I always begin my night by ordering a bottled water from the bar. I carry a packet or two of green tea, which I insert in the bottled water conspicuously in front of other people, always. I, I do this for a couple of reasons. It immediately shifts the group's conversation to why I'm drinking green tea instead of alcohol. People inevitably ask what I'm drinking, which feeds back into the social validation part of the sober party experience that I talked about. Green tea contains caffeine and flavonoids. The caffeine makes you energetic and the flavonoids make you more creative and articulate so you can bring the party. It's cheap. In Colombia, the bottled water costs about 5,000 COP, which is equivalent of about $2.50 at a nice bar. In case security at the venue thinks I'm putting drugs in my beverage, they can just ask my friends or whoever saw me insert it. Initial reference experiences. By now, I'm totally accustomed to parting sober, but in the beginning, there's definitely something missing. It's important that you get some good initial reference experiences with partying sober. So line up some fun parties to go to with your friends so you can feed off the group's energy. Hang out with people who, while maybe not completely sober like you, have a naturally positive social energy. Maybe avoid going to a big intimidating club alone or in a small group. Let's talk about dating, the subject you've been wondering about. Sobriety is a double-edged sword in dating. There's a couple of obvious benefits. Sober men in bars or nightclubs are a rarity. Sober men in bars or nightclubs who are actually fun, confident, and socially intelligent are even more rare. You are an instant high-status novelty, which can make you more attractive but it can also make you seem unattainable, which is a problem. I'll explain this a little more below. On the other hand, lots of women party sober, actually. 20 to 30% in my experience. Debatably, the better 20 to 30% of women. 
With your powers of observation not retarded by alcohol, you'll notice which girls are sober. You can point out your rare commonality to build rapport with them. It saves a lot of money. It probably cuts the hard monetary cost of dating by about 60%. It's easier to remember names and personal details when you're sober. What about the negatives? Yes, there are some negatives, aren't there? Alcohol is an undeniably effective stimulant of serotonin and dopamine, along with the corresponding confidence, humor, dance floor antics, sexy energy, and good memories. Sometimes, after a long day of work, sober Jonathan could just not bring the social energy to his interactions and make the magic happen like pleasantly intoxicated Jonathan could so consistently. In dating interactions, more often than not, the woman will follow the man's lead. I had a few dates that I'm pretty sure would have gone better if her blood alcohol content was above 0.00%, but she didn't feel comfortable drinking while I was sober. <laughs> there were a couple of girls who were perfectly fine with drinking my alcohol while I was sober, though. The dating life hack for this situation is that I would tell her that a particular bar had a really amazing cocktail or beer or whatever, and that I wanted to experience them vicariously through her. The only booze I tasted during the sober trip was that left on the lips and tongues of the girl's whose exotic company I enjoyed. If you need further motivation to experiment with the effect of sobriety on your dating life, check out these videos. The content isn't pornographic, but it's definitely R-rated and hilarious. And I list a couple of videos of people talking about, about booze and pickup, actually. Alternative addictions. They say that when you starve one addiction, another one takes its place. While an equally destructive vice didn't present itself, this maxim did ring partially true during my sober trip. Caffeine consumption may have gotten a little out of hand. I found myself drinking a one liter bottle of green tea a day in addition to a cup or two or three of premium Colombian coffee, chocolate. My chocolate habit got a little crazy. I had chocolate at least six times a week, usually when I was working. Speaking of working, workaholism, eight to nine hours a day and four to seven hours on Saturdays and Sundays, which really is not I don't even know if that qualifies as workaholism in retrospect, and it certainly is nothing out of the ordinary for me. Socializing. I found myself quite driven to go out and socialize three to five nights a week. Quite frequently, I would be up working in my office at 8.30 a.m. after partying till 3 or 4 a.m., and I could tell that I wasn't as productive as I could have been due to lack of sleep. Okay, the sober habit on coach dot 
me. Speaking of newly acquired addictions, my most recent as of this writing was Coach.me for iPhone, Android, and web browser. This app quantifies the consistency with which you practice winning habits. Coach.me adds a dimension of social pressure by making your check-ins to a habit visible to the other people who practice it. They can encourage and give you props on your progress, so don't let them down. And I have the habit for sobriety and no booze linked here. I encourage you to connect with me on coach.me. I've got some seriously wacky and empowering habits. I also sporadically leave notes on my habit check-ins with funny anecdotes. I found that the app gives me 3x at least the motivation to consistently practice habits that in the past were a major challenge for me. Let's talk about paracetam, which is the smart drug that beats addiction. Paracetam increases dopamine along with the corresponding perception of a reward and arousal from natural stimuli like food, social interactions, laughter, exercise, physical contact, and sex. If you do paracetam within a few hours of socializing, you will not feel like drinking booze. This smart drug has been shown to help those suffering from alcohol and methamphetamine addiction. On the Wikipedia page, there are six different studies linked where paracetam helped people with alcoholism issues. I encourage you to check out a comparison table I made of paracetam supplement, which is linked in this post. The social media challenge. I'm a notorious social media narcissist, but I'm going to suggest something seemingly counterintuitive to those of you who are inspired by this article. Don't brag about your experiment with sobriety on social media until you've made it at least 10 to 14 days sober. Why? Well, there are three different studies which authoritatively demonstrate that bragging about your goals, in this case sobriety, actually demotivates you from accomplishing them. This is especially obvious on social media every January 1st when you see all kinds of New Year's resolutions to finally get serious about losing weight, writing a book, quitting smoking, or whatever. So after you've made it 10 to 14 days, let me and the world know what kind of adventures the sober life entails for you and when you do i'd like you to use a hashtag that i've invented which is hashtag you don't put cheap gas in a ferrari <laughs> from the cocky way that i explain to people why i'm not drinking and also let us know in the comments of this article